Turn with me to Romans, not Romans, sorry, man, I'm just so excited about Sunday school still, I guess, just wanted to do that all over again. Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 31, before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we open up your word, whether it be Romans or Mark or Exodus, whatever we open, we know that it is all about you. And so Lord, we pray that as we come to your word today, that you would help us to understand that, that it is about you your name, your renown, your glory, and help us to understand that this is not about us and any of those things for us. Help us to focus on you, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might glorify your name in all the earth. I pray this in your name. Amen. So with your finger in Mark chapter 14, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. This is a way to introduce this passage. Exodus chapter 12 is the chapter in the Bible where the Passover is instituted. And so I wanted to read this together because we're getting ready to go through this where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And an understanding of the Passover is vital to understanding why and how and when with the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to read the first 14 verses. And remember the whole backdrop for this as well, which we'll, I'll go into in just a second. So Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregations of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he should take his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled, or do not eat it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head and legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. 
as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so this passage serves as a backdrop for our text today. Remember, the Jewish people were in Egypt, having started there in prosperity. We talked about this in Sunday school today with Joseph. And he was kind of the number two man in Egypt, right? He had risen to power in Egypt. And there the people of Israel moved. Jacob and all of his sons, they moved. And many years later, some 400 or so years later, there was a Pharaoh, the first words of the book of Exodus, who did not remember Joseph and the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel were enslaved and persecuted under pagan gods and under a pagan ruler. Moses was sent there by God to deliver those people. God gave them instructions on the night before they marched out. And these are the instructions that we just read. And God told them, hey, you need to remember this. Set it aside as a statute for all generations. You are to have this feast. And if you read just a few chapters later, God delivers the people of Egypt in a very decisive way. He crushes the army of Pharaoh literally under the weight of the entire Red Sea. And then just a few chapters later, the people are complaining and they wish they could go back to Egypt. And this tumultuous relationship between God and his people continues for hundreds of years And it culminates with where we're going to be in our passage today with Jesus in the upper room telling his disciples a new way to look at the feast they've been eating together for hundreds of years. So as we come to this passage, these are words that you've heard me say down here many times, hundreds of times even. We hear them every week as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so to that end, they've they've probably become wrote to us. You could probably even say them from memory. I can most Sundays, but if I start thinking about it, then I can't. So that's why I have to look at it and read it almost every Sunday. But we've heard them hundreds of times. So what I want us to do is make sure that we're connecting those things to what we just read in the Old Testament Passover. And I think that's going to help us to to anchor it and understand it in a new and fresh way. So as we consider this text, I want to tie it back to the Old Testament Passover, but bring it forward to our own day to help us understand the gospel more clearly. To increase our understanding of the supper itself, we're going to see that through the significance that is given to it by Jesus there that night with his disciples. But we're also going to see that Jesus and who the supper points to hasn't changed a bit. And that is the comfort that we draw. So the two points I want to bring out here are the Lamb of God then, then being in Moses' day, and then the Lamb of God today in our day. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 22 and going through verse 31. Please stand together in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, 
Even though they fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, or if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So real quick, remember, they're in the upper room. We talked about this last week. He's there with his disciples. They had to suffer together. Jesus had just announced that one of them was going to betray him, like literally betray them to the authorities. And Jesus was going to be arrested and killed. And so this kind of created this somber moment with him and his disciples. And he's getting ready to set up kind of this other somber moment for them as well. But it's going to go, it's going to end in hope as we go through this idea of the Passover. He's he's talking about his own death, which is difficult, but he's also offering hope to the disciples. And as we ended, we talked about the disciples, they're all going to scatter. So we kind of have this whole roller coaster of emotions going on here in our text today. And I think it might be easy to focus on how we might act in that same situation. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. If we were faced with the same kind of decisions and concerns, if we're there in the upper room and Jesus says you're all going to scatter, we might want to say, yeah, they might, but I'm not going to, just like Peter did. So many times I think we might hear this text taught in that way. You know, someone might say to us, well, we have to stand firm when we in there in the face of trial. And how you or how will you act when there's a difficult trial like this? Will you be one that falls away? Don't be the one that falls away. And if we if we look at that passage like this, and we might miss the fact that whether or not we fall away is inconsequential because Jesus is the focus of this passage for the joy that was set before him. We read in Hebrews 12 last week for the joy that was set before him. He went headfirst into his death so that we might have life. And so as we come to this passage, let's keep our focus on our savior. And that brings us to the first point, the lamb of God, then And so for us to get a fuller picture here, we kind of have to understand this whole Passover meal, which for us as non-Jewish people, this may be just a bit bit of a foreign concept. We understand the idea of the Passover. We read from Exodus 12. We understand where it's coming from. But what was kind of going on there? We don't want to think of this Passover as kind of a holiday meal. You know, like when we get together for Thanksgiving, we all get together and we have all this different food and there's different preferences based on family tradition and all that sort of thing, and we all get together and eat and have fun. The Passover meal, every single dish that was served, every cup of wine that was passed around the table had significance, and it told the story of redemption for the people of God. So as Jesus shared this meal with his disciples, it should have taken the same shape as the Passover that had been eaten hundreds and hundreds of times before that, for all the hundreds of years of Jesus's and the, well, the people of Israel and their story of redemption. But what he's going to do with it is he's going to point it to himself, which ultimately that's what it did all along. And so as they come together, the Passover meal would have been served by the head of the household, which in this case would have, would have been Jesus because he was kind of the head over these this group of disciples. And over the course of the meal, what, what would happen is several cups of wine would be passed around the table, each one of them kind of having significance. And the first one would be passed around the table before the serving of the meal. And then the meal was always the same. It was what we read from there in Hebrews or in Exodus chapter 11. There was a roasted lamb. There was some bitter herbs. 
They had a little bowl of stewed fruit, and that was what they dipped the bread into, which we, you know, that serves as a prominent thing. The one I dipped the bread in is the one who would betray me. We read that. And then there was the unleavened bread as well. This same meal had been eaten for hundreds of years by these people. And as the food was brought in, it was customary for the youngest person at the table to ask the question. And the question was always the same. And they asked the head of the household the same every time. Why do we eat these foods on this night? And the father would then recount the story of God's grace to the people as we read from Exodus and as he rescued his people. And then they would respond by singing psalms together. And those psalms were always the same. One of them we recited together this morning as a church, Psalm 113. And this was, and Psalm 113 is very common for a lot of the Jewish feasts. And then a second cup would be passed around. And then there was a plate of unleavened bread and it would be lifted up. And this is important because Jesus does the same thing here in our passage. And the, the plate was lifted up and these exact words were said every time. This, talking about the bread, is the bread of affliction. Think about that. It's the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And so consider this from our text today. Because in this Passover with Jesus, he lifts the bread up. And what does he say? Take. This is my body. What is he saying? He's saying that he is the bread of affliction. The bread the fathers ate in the wilderness that anyone who is hungry or needy should partake of. That was him. It's incredible. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't offering his literal flesh to them. You can read John chapter six. He's having this same discussion with people in John chapter six about him being the bread of life. It's the same idea. He's pointing to the fact that all of these signs that were given to the Old Testament people, the Passover bread, the manna in the wilderness that sustained the people for all those years, it was all about him. And the bread is broken and it's passed to every member of the family at that time. And so what is Jesus saying? This is my body, which is broken for you. Imagine Jesus saying this as he stood as as the head of the household and he held the bread up and he said, this is the bread of affliction. Let everyone who is needy come and eat and then saying, I am this bread. And then as he continued the supper, what he would do then is he would pass a third cup of wine around the table, which would be followed by him again. And that hymn is Psalm 118, which Consequently, it's featured very prominently in, in Mark chapter 11 as we, as we talked about with his coming into town on a colt and other places there. But as Jesus passes this third cup, he draws again a significance to it. What does he say? Verse 24, Mark 14. And he said to them, this, as he holds this cup up, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. For many. Remember, on the night of the first Passover, what was going to happen 
They painted the, the blood on their doorpost. The angel of death was going to go through Egypt, killing the firstborn of every household, unless the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of that house. And if the blood of the lamb was there, what would the angel do? He would pass over that house. The blood representing the promise of God that he made for his people that I will pass over those houses and there will be no death there. That that promise was much deeper than the angel will pass over. That promise went all the way back to when God said to Abram, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will have a people for myself. And you are going to be those people. And from your seed will come one who will all the nations of the world be blessed. So when John the Baptist, all in John chapter 1, when he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he wasn't just making up a cute name for Jesus. He was talking about the Passover Lamb. The Lamb of God that is killed every year, every Passover, that Lamb points to that man, Jesus Christ. All the way back to the Exodus, He is the Passover Lamb. And so when He offers this cup to His disciples and He said, this is my blood of the covenant, what He is saying, this cup represents the continued promise between the people of God And God himself, I am the lamb who is going to be slain. So when Jesus broke the bread and he shared the cup with his disciples, the entire Old Testament comes to light right before their eyes. I can't even imagine being there. The whole gospel right there in the flesh. The lamb led to the slaughter so that the father would pass over the people, instead of passing judgment on them, he would pass judgment on that lamb. Not only that, this per- perfect spotless lamb took on himself the blemishes of his people. It was a perfect spotless lamb, but he took on the blemishes of his people and he gave them his spotless perfection. And as they passed the bread and the cup, This was the gospel coming to life. And it's the same thing that we see in front of us right here every single week as we come to his table. No, this isn't the actual body and blood of Jesus. The whole Jesus, all of his body and all of his blood is right now at the right hand of the father. But this is a picture of the gospel. And it's no less a picture today than it was for them on that first night that they took it together. It's a type that points to the real thing. It's that, but it's also a seal of the promises that he has for us. His blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It does exactly what it's intended to do, and we can rest upon that promise. So, as we get to this next passage, where he tells his disciples they're going to leave, how do we reconcile that? How could they leave him after this happened? How could we leave him? That brings us to the Lamb of God today. So right after that, verse 27 and 28, verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sung a hymn together, which is which was right for them to do because of the Passover. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
But after I'm raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Right after that, he tells them they're all going to fall away. They're all there. They're all in this kind of spiritual high. So perhaps a bit of bravado kicks in, right? They're kind of all really excited. And Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. Jesus doesn't just say random things. But it's not unlike the disciples to say, no, Jesus, I don't think you got this right. And so Peter, of course, steps up first, even though they're going to fall away. I know you said we're all going to, but no, not me. Peter has a, has, a, has a history of correcting Jesus. I will not. It's pretty incredible. He's called out here, which we're going to deal with that in the coming weeks as we deal directly with his denial of Jesus. But notice here at the end of the night, Jesus is going to be alone. Keep reading. But they all do that. He didn't die next to his friends. Jesus is going to die. And he didn't get to die next to his friends, even though they said they were all going to die with him. They didn't. Instead, he got to die next to two criminals. So imagine these words as Jesus heard them. Imagine from the disciples. What did they say? If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they aren't the last Christians to utter those words. They've been said over the years many times, people who would swear they were going to die for the name of Christ, only to turn when it got hard. And we might think, well, I wouldn't do that. Not me. I would stand firm. I would stand for Jesus. I'm not afraid of what people can say or do to me. And then you read stories about people who have actually stood for Jesus and what it's cost them over the years. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday School. There's a book that is about martyrs. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was published in the 16th century, so it's a pretty old book. But it's kind of a go-to book when people first start reading about the lives of people who have given them, who have given their life for Jesus. I encourage you to read it if you haven't. It's not a really happy read at all. It's about people who have given their life for the faith, but it's a helpful read. And it's not helpful because it's going to somehow empower you for that day that's going to come eventually for all of us at some point where we're going to have to say, yeah, I stand for Christ. It may not cost us our life, but we're going to have to stand for Christ. And so we're not going to read this book thinking, yeah, I'll do that and I'll be empowered to do that. It's not the, the idea there. But the idea there as we read through that is all these people that though they died, it was Christ who sustains them and keeps them. Just as we read the words of the disciples again, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said that together and then just keep reading. We're going to read this next week, but what happens? They all scatter in the night. One of them even leaves his clothes. Peter denies him three times, even as a little girl comes up to him and asks him, didn't you know Jesus? And Peter, afraid of this little girl, says, no, I didn't know him. And if you or I were there, if we were number 13 among their number, we would have been scattered too. But if you read the part in the New Testament and in the Old of what Jesus does with his scattered sheep, how he does whatever it takes to go and to find them because he's a good shepherd, not because I'm a good sheep, but he's a good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and the sheep are stubborn and dumb 
and they run into danger as quickly as they walk into safely safety. Yet Jesus laid down his life for the sheep and right now even is at the right hand of the Father interceding on their behalf even though they don't have a whole lot of sense. And not only that, what is he doing? He plans to come back and gather his sheep to himself and not a one of those sheep that are his will be lost on that day. Isn't that incredible? Now read verse 25 with me. Because this is, this is the most exhilarating part for me. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. And when I drink of it, and when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Because here at this point in the feast, what would actually happen is after they ate, and after they had done the unleavened bread, and after they passed the third cup, there would be a fourth cup that would be passed around. But Jesus did not pass the fourth cup with them. He said, I'm not going to have this cup again until I come back with you. I'm not going to drink this cup until I come back in the new kingdom. So understand, he left the last part of the Passover so that we could have it together with him when he comes back for us. When we take communion together, when we come to the Lord's table together, what do we say? I always say the words that Christ said here. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we say that because we await the day that when we can have the last cup together with him. First Corinthians 11, which I read from every single Sunday. What does Paul tell us to do? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because when he comes, we won't have to say the words of that third cup anymore. Because we're going to have that last one with him together. And so when I tell you, brothers and sisters, that we bring nothing to the table, and you hear me say that a lot, because think about it. After having heard Jesus explain the Passover to his disciples, having them understand that he is the bread of life, that he is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, that that is the new covenant in his blood, that he is going to drink that cup with us, What did they do right after that? They scattered when they were the least bit threatened. And we weren't there, but we would have done it too. And every time that we read about how good he is and how wonderful he is, we can't help but think that he may not be here for us and that he may not be here with us and that we scatter at the least bit sign of trouble. We scatter when people get sick. We scatter because, you know, silly things. Think of the the silly things that have gone on in this pandemic. We scatter because toilet paper supplies are low. We scatter when we're the least bit comfortable in any sense of the word. We scatter when some new man gets elected to an office that's fleeting. We scatter all the time, much less when our life is actually being threatened. We can't possibly bring anything to this table that would be worthy to sit next to what he brought to the table for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who was actually broken, who was actually pierced on our behalf. So brothers and sisters, stop trying to add things to what he has done. Those men and women in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I encourage you to read that again. They didn't earn some special place next to Jesus when they died for his name 
Every single spot next to Jesus is absolutely special, no matter what. The saint who dies living a holy life gets the same Christ as the the same eternal life as the saint who gives their life for Christ. And also gets the same Christ as the one who struggles every day with senses of shame and guilt and whatever else the things that we struggle with. The weakest Christian gets the same strong Christ as the strongest Christian. He is the difference, not you and me. And that he should be our focus. And so in conclusion, who do we point to when it comes to this life? Over and over in this passage, Jesus pointed to himself. He showed that the Old Testament pointed to him as well. He has that right. He is the very son of God. And so then let us be ones who point others to him, to Jesus. If you're here today and you don't think you measure up, you consider yourself to be second rate, it's okay. We are. But there's nothing second rate about our Savior. He is the one who receives the glory. So rather than trust yourself, call out to him. Find rest for your souls. Call out to the one who takes away the sin of the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read here from your word, as we prepare ourselves to come to your table, we are so thankful for this very plain picture that you've given for us that makes so much sense, but yet we still just can't even hardly grab a hold of the simplest parts of it, that you are always here, that you are always sustaining us, your people, and that you do not break your promises. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us, help us to see that not only in our own lives, that we would not scatter at the least bit sense of trouble or fear or doubt, but that we would cling to you instead. And Lord, help us then to show that same hope to a dying world. Pray this in your name. Amen.